terrified. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. I had I had such a young child. I didn't know. I have to say that in the initial days, I really did feel like a victim. You know, if you love someone, love is all you need, sort of thing. And I really believe that. But not not every marriage is forever. Welcome to Stories That Connect Us, a podcast for storytellers and story lovers alike. I'm your host, Nikki. Tired of surface level chit chat and eager to connect to others on a deeper level? Want to learn from others' past experiences, highs, lows, and the messy middle? Well, if that sounds like you, you've landed in the right place. Stories That Connect Us seeks to unite people through the power of storytelling, providing a platform for everyday people to share their stories. Why? Because everyone has a story. Our stories matter. Sit back, grab a drink and get ready to listen, learn and be inspired. Welcome back, Storytimers. Thanks for joining me for episode four of Stories That Connect Us. Today, we're going to be in conversation with Natasha Matani. Natasha is a relationship and divorce coach who is passionate about empowering women of South Asian descent to cut through cultural conditioning and thrive in their relationships. She's also made it her mission to destigmatize divorce in the South Asian community after experiencing it herself. Strap yourselves in and get ready to listen to Natasha's story where she talks about building a life for her and her son post-divorce. Hey, Natasha, welcome to Stories That Connect Us. So pleased to have you on as a guest to share your story with our listeners. Before we get started, how are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. I just got back from an hour of playing badminton, so I'm raring to go. Fantastic. At least you managed to get your exercise in for the day. Thumbs up on that one. But your story is all about family, South Asian culture and traditions and and how to really reimagine marital relationships in a way that doesn't ignore the most important person, yourself. So let's get into it. The question I ask all of my guests is, tell me your story from where it begins. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I guess there's two parts to it. So one was just all the places I grew up. So I, I'll take a deep breath now because it's a bit of a long one. But I was born in a small country on the west coast of Africa called Liberia. When I was three, I moved to London. When I was seven, I moved to Lagos in Nigeria. Um, and then when I was 11, I went to India to boarding school. And then at 14, I went to Dublin. Um, I came back to London at 18, I went to university here um, and I was working here for a couple of years and then I got married quite young at 24 and I moved to Asia and I lived between Hong Kong and Taiwan. So that's sort of one aspect of it. And you that are one global having... citizen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and every time people meet me, they're like, where's that accent from? We can't place it. I'm like, I think it's just a world accent. Um, but living in all those places kind of taught me so much about different cultures and what people are like and although um, you know we think we're all so different especially now with all the division you see around the world we're actually more similar than we are different so that was kind of one aspect of it and also growing up in all these places I was always um, someone who really believed in equality and fairness and and that sort of thing and I guess the second part of my story begins um, a decade ago when I 
separated from my ex-husband and I had a, a 15 month old child and I moved from Hong Kong back to London. Um, you know, getting divorced and going through that was something I didn't expect. I don't think anyone expects to get divorced, to be honest. Um, but it's one of those things that we I realized that we never prepare for. So I know it sounds doom and gloom. You shouldn't have to prepare for divorce because you're hoping it doesn't happen. But it's just, it's like saying, you know, I hope I never, you know, pass away from an illness, but I'm still going to take out the insurance for it, right? And so with divorce, I just find that we don't talk about it a lot. And as I started healing from my own divorce and looking back at my past, I also realized that within the South Asian community, we all have these stories that we were told from a very young age about what it meant to be a wife and what it meant to be in a marriage that suddenly I had to start seriously unpacking. Um, so that's kind of where the second part of my story starts. I would like to dig into that. So if we can think about, as you were just saying, you know, growing up, what was your perception of marriage? You know, can you, what, what was it that you thought it was or wasn't? Yeah. So, so, I have to just say that with in term, I was quite lucky that I had um, pretty li what's considered pretty liberal parents, and both my parents worked. They worked together, but I still saw um, you know my mum doing more of the home stuff, um, and so it wasn't just in in how I saw my parents interact, but everything around me. The idea was that you know you were kind of groomed to go to dance class or act a certain way or dress a certain way all so that you could um, grow up and attend weddings in your finery so that someone would choose you because you were attractive enough and wealthy enough and had a good surname even even to that level and so th those were the that was the sort of narrative that you know most South Asian girls experienced that you basically got chosen and there was a very fixed definition of the kind of man that was good enough for you to marry that sounds like that's I guess from a from a pressure perspective like what what impact does that have on you knowing that that's the journey that is expected of you yeah so we're starting to see that now you know I think back then it was also so I'm, I'm 38, but back when I got married at 24, it was the norm to sort of get married around that age. And for pe for girls of my generation, a lot of them got married around there. And in fact, if you got married at 28 or 29, it was con you were considered older. That's changed now. The next generation, they are waiting. They are taking their time. They are um, building careers and stuff like that. But at the time, um, you know, there was a pressure to to get married to find that person and to make sure that you had your children before you were 30 um, and we're seeing that now in relationships where women perhaps you know with social media you see so much that's out there there's so many memes there's so many talk show hosts that are like saying phenomenal things and people are suddenly like oh wait a minute like it wasn't supposed to be like that maybe I'm not supposed to be put in this little box perhaps I I want more. And then suddenly they start questioning things in their relationships. That makes sense. And I think one of the things that's coming to mind, as you said, the second part of your story was where your marriage had gotten to a point where you had left Hong Kong um, with a very young uh, child, um, a son, I believe. And how how did that come to pass? You know, how did you get to a point where you were, as you said, you'd moved to Asia you were 
in a marriage, which was a life that, that you knew that you would have. How did, uh, tell me that part of your journey where you came to realize that something wasn't right in your marriage and how did you manage to disregard the, the stigma and the stereotypes that you spoke of to get on the plane and leave Hong Kong with your young son? Mm-hmm. With great difficulty, <laughs> with great difficulty, I'll tell you that. So I I kind of figured like something, you know, wasn't quite right quite early on. And I think about 18 months into it, I actually came back to London. But this is the other thing that we say. And it's interesting because I now doing what I do, being a relationship and divorce coach, I actually spoke to someone today and she said, something I would have said 10 years ago, or rather what I was told 10 years ago. When you have those challenges in the first, I'd say if it's in the first five years, what kind of the elders and everyone says to you is that marriage is not easy. It takes five years to settle in. You've just got to suck it up. You've got to hold things together. You've got to make sure that you're, you know, allowing your husband to do what he has to do and stuff like that. And, you know, that's just the way it is. It's not easy. And I think that's quite damaging because, even though, yes, you know, relationships aren't uh, a walk in the park, all relationships need work. There is a difference between one that needs work, but there's like a lot of love there versus something being fundamentally wrong, but still feeling like you had to stay because it was too much of a stigma to, to leave. And so we convince people that, you've just got to or convince women rather that you've just got to keep working harder at it. And so I did, I did go back and, you know, we did work on it and things um, got better until I had my son. And it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to kind of put words into anyone's mouth. I don't know what, exactly what changed. Perhaps after I had him, there was this idea that, okay, well now she's had a child. She's not going to leave. Cause that's the other thing. A lot of women are told that, um, you know, you have to, and this is not just in the South Asian community, this is across the board, because again, I've heard it from a lot of clients, yeah, that you have to stay together for the sake of the child. Um, And so, and so people do, but what's really interesting about that is the research shows, um, because I'm currently attempting to write a book, and the research shows that um, a lot of adults whose parents sort of did that, reached adulthood, and were like, I actually, I wish that they just separated when they did because we think we're doing the right thing by staying together you know quote unquote for the sake of our kids but we don't realize the energy in the house and that children pick up on these things so easily and then essentially that's what we're modeling to them about what a relationship looks like um and there's a quote by glennon doyle who's the author of one of my favorite books untamed i highly recommend every woman reads it but she says on motherhood be a um, be a model, not a martyr, wow. and that has really stuck with me. Um, I, I wish I read that book at the, when I was going through it. I only read it about two years ago when it came out, um, but it's it's so true. And so I guess even though I hadn't read the book then, that's in my heart. I was like, I can't have my son in an environment like this. And I think that's what I think it's him that gave me kind of courage to be like actually I deserve a lot more than this and so does he and to to leave that situation you knew pretty early on you felt that you had to try and work it out but obviously when you had your your son something changed so what were some of the messages that were kind of like playing around in your head when you were thinking I need to leave this situation this situation 
isn't the right thing for me and for my son? What were some of those almost self-sabotaging um, statements and messages that might have been playing around in your head? Yeah, it was mainly around how I would be perceived, you know, because the kind of, again, the narrative growing up when um, the odd time that you heard uh, that someone had separated, because it really is still uh, not as common in the South Asian community, or at least not the South Asian community that I'm part of, um, you know, and what you'd always hear, there was always that somehow the woman was always blamed. Um, you know, that she couldn't hold her family together, that she couldn't adjust or that she couldn't adapt. And I knew in my heart of hearts that I had done all of, all of those things, that I'd kind of adjusted and adapted and, you know, tried my very best. But it was still how people were going to perceive me. Um, but then, you know, I think you also just get to the point where you're like, actually, ha you know, being happy and making sure that my child is happy is is bigger than how people are going to perceive me. Um and so then it became, I wouldn't say easy, but it became very clear that that's what I needed to do. Sense of clarity. Exactly. Did you have anyone that you spoke to about your feelings, about your thoughts, you know, in terms of your support system? Yeah, no, in fact, it's funny. I always say I am who I wish I had, you know, 10 years ago. I did, I did speak to a couple of friends, but again, it was very, you know, superficial. I didn't really go too deep into what it was. And at the end of the day, when I actually made that choice, I didn't actually speak to anybody because I kind of feel like I learned the lesson from earlier when I felt like I was having a tricky time and my gut was saying one thing to me and I did speak to people and then got all that stuff about oh you know these things are tricky and you have to give it five years and at that stage I'd been married for five and a half years and I just thought actually no I'm gonna go with my gut I'm gonna listen to what it's saying to me um and then and then I made that choice and then I only told my family after I was very clear in my mind about the choice that I'd made yeah is that because you thought you don't want anyone to dissuade you out of your out of the decision that you were so clear about yes exactly i didn't want um and I, i'm not sure even at that stage whether they would have but i just um, it's tricky i'm not sure how to explain it i think in that moment when you get really clear with what it is that you want and this is not necessarily someone who's making a choice to um you know get divorced this could be someone who's you know, wanting to start a new business or someone who's, you know, wanting to do something new. In that moment, you get really clear and you listen to your gut and you listen to your heart. And I think everyone is kind of projecting their own fears, you know, all the time. And so I didn't want to say, this is what I'm doing. And then have anyone say, oh no, but now you have a child, but oh no, that now that you have to try this and oh no, because I was so vulnerable and it was, and so raw at the time. I just think it might've broken me. So I made my decision and then, and then came back and I told my family, I have to say there was still, you know, that little 5% that thought maybe this, maybe this will still work. Maybe there'll be change, but that there, there was a, incident I don't I don't really want to go into but there was an incident that then happened three months later that was kind of the final I think I got I think the universe was talking to me because it was literally a very sliding doors kind of moment and I just thought yeah thank you this is this is it now decision made decision made decision made yeah so you packed everything up and you've made the the, the trip back to the UK like how did you feel at that point 
terrified absolutely terrified I had I had such a young child I didn't know I didn't exactly know what I was doing and actually when I did move back I didn't move back like I wasn't going back it's a bit of a long story but I was supposed to be we were supposed to be moving to the Caribbean and London was a kind of through stop so I hadn't even brought everything I'd kind of bought some stuff and you know but in my in my heart and in my mind I think I was I kind of knew you know that it wasn't working um but yeah I was terrified I had a young child and I wasn't sure what I was going to do but I just had faith in something bigger than me that's so powerful one of the things that you said earlier on I'd like to go back to where you said all relationships take work and I guess that means friendships whether that's relationships with with colleagues in the work environment with family and marital or love relationships so you know they're always constantly moving and they're constantly flowing. Is this something that you were aware of that relationships take work and were, and were prepared for going into marriage? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, that has def that has more so now. I mean, I knew that, you know, marriage took work and stuff like that, but I didn't realize to what extent, you know, because I think also movies and, I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and all the cartoons of the time and all the movies of the time, you know, showed marriage and love to be this very light, lighthearted thing that was just so easy. You know, you you fell in love and you fell in love sometimes after you'd only met once or movies like Serendipity where you put a note in a book. And <laughs> it sounds it sounds crazy talking about it now because it you know, at the age of 38, if someone had to tell me that, I'd be like, I would say, yeah, but come on, that's just, you know, that's the movie. It's like escape, escapism, you know, like you watch it, but that that's not real life. But I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I think, and so many people I speak to now who are sort of, you know, in their late 30s or early 40s, even if we didn't, even if we knew that it was fiction, there's still a part of you that's kind of taken by that, you know, like the love actuallys and the, the Notting Hills and stuff like that. So even though you know it's going to take work, you still don't realize, I guess, to what extent, because everything that was portrayed was that it's this amazing thing that feels good and is just easy. You know, if you love someone, love is all you need sort of thing. And I really believe that. I have to say that part of it. I believed that, like, love could hold the marriage together. And as long as, you know, there was love for each other, then you'd be fine. And now, as a relationship and divorce coach, I'm like, there is so much more than that. <laughs> it's communication and respect and everything else. Um, I've heard this phrase, and it might have even been in a conversation that we've had, but that some relationships have an end date. What's your take on that? Yeah, so it's a it's a tricky one, because again, the, the kind of story that's, you know, um, narrated to us or painted for us is that it's happily ever after and that you get married and you spend the rest of your life with this one person and I think that's a beautiful thought but I'm not sure it's very realistic because everybody evolves we're all constantly evolving and you can you know truly care about someone and love someone but if you're not evolving together then your relationship may naturally reach sort of stalemate right where you're together for the companionship but if one person is suddenly like well actually but I still want a bit more excitement and the other person doesn't want that that's when you kind of reach this point so I will just say I'm not you know I'm not for divorce I just think 
I'm not someone who encourages it. And I, I would like people to do the whole happily ever after thing. But I do think that um, there's nothing wrong with with thinking that some relationships do have an end date. A bit, a bit like friendships, right? We don't commit to the friends that we make when we're in primary school or when we make when we're teenagers and think we're going to be friends forever. There's definitely some friends you will be friends with, you know, 30 or 40 years, but there's others. It's that phrase, um, reason, season, lifetime. I, I do live by that. I think some people come into your life for a reason. Some come in for a little longer for a season and some, you know, come for a lifetime. But even the ones that are there for a lifetime, like friendships, you have ups and downs and you have to communicate. Um, but not, not every marriage is forever. That's, I really like that phrase, reason, season, lifetime. That's uh, definitely one that I'm going to note down after we, after we finish chatting. So, <laughs> you know, as a, as a divorce and uh, relationship coach, I know that your mission is to help women not to see divorce as the end of the road, almost turning the dial, not to see themselves as a failure if they do have a relationship breakdown. So, you came back to the UK roughly 2013, I believe, to sort of restart yes. your your life after marriage. What were some of the things that you did that made the most positive impact in helping you overcome your, your fears and, and, and start to create the life that you have today? Yeah. So I look first off, I looked at what all my beliefs were. So this wasn't in the initial days I have to say that in the initial days I really did feel like a victim and I say this to people who are experiencing it as well you have to take that moment to sometimes feel frustrated and like you know why did this happen to me but don't stay there like don't stay there for two reasons one you need to lift yourself out of it and you don't blame yourself but you take full responsibility because it's only when you take responsibility that you can move out of it and two if you stay there in that kind of puddle in that pity party people will meet you where you're at so if I if I stayed there and I was just like you know woe be me kind of thing people would meet me there and that's not what you want you want to be able to raise your you raise your energy so once I kind of came out of that a few months later I was like okay what are my beliefs why am I feeling the way I'm feeling and I started looking at all the things that I'd been told all the things I'd heard all the reasons I believed that um, you know, my marriage not working made me a failure. Then I started, once I identified my beliefs, I was like, okay, but do I believe that? And then I could go through them and I was like, but I don't really believe that. So why am I allowing this belief, this limiting belief that's not serving me to make me feel like I failed? So identify your beliefs and then um, figure out whether they're serving you or whether you really believe them. And then I had... So not affirmations, but just things I would say to myself to center me and bring me back to, Ooh, you know, what it, what it is that I was doing. Yeah. So it was just about the, well, A, it was about the type of mom I wanted to be because that was my, um, you know, my entire focus. My son was only 15 months old, so he was very young. Um, and so focusing just on who I wanted to be. Another one was around, you know, the kind of, um, person I was and so you know that I'm like I'm not a failure just because um my marriage didn't work out and being very very uh discerning about the words I use so if you notice I didn't say because I didn't make my marriage work because I don't believe that it was solely my responsibility to make my marriage work so it's little things like that when you get very very um 
discerning and clear about the words that you're using, you'll actually realize how easily we use some really negative language that we don't even realize that we're using. You know, and they're such throwaway phrases sometimes. And I think it's really important to, so I, 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 what I basically what I say to clients today is what I did. Notice what you notice. How are you speaking to yourself? How are you um, responding when people speak to you? So after the first year or a year and a half, when people would speak to me and be like, oh, and, you know, and ask me, oh, where's your husband? I would turn around and smile and be like, oh, I'm very happily divorced. And people didn't <laughs> know what to do with themselves because it was like, Oh, 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 okay. We're not used to someone who's like that. Otherwise, it was, oh, I don't have when I'm divorced. Immediately, their body language changes, their face drops, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'd be like, oh, you know, don't be sorry. So instead, I changed how I responded. That's what I was talking about, about staying in that puddle of, you know, of your pity party. You can have a pity party, everybody will meet you there. Or you have a confidence, confidence party, and everyone will meet you there. They'll meet you where you're at. And realizing that was a game changer because then I realized that I could choose how I wanted to feel and everyone around me would meet me where I was at. One of the things that I'd like to understand your thoughts on is this whole idea of the fact that I think you refer to post-divorce as the second act. What does that mean? Can you break down this term for our listeners and for me maybe? Yeah. Um, so it's a second chance, I think, at living life on your terms. So for many people, when they experience, uh, experience divorce and then say they work with a coach and they start looking at the different limiting beliefs, a lot of the reasons that they might have got married or been in a relationship with this whoever they were in a relationship with, or maybe ended up getting divorced, um, came from all the beliefs they had from birth to that point um and so i like to think of it i love analogies <laughs> just to explain things but imagine like we're all b born with this like um patch of grass right and so we're born and you know we're not gardeners right from birth and so it's up to like our parents and our caregivers and our teachers and uncles and aunts and grandparents and all of that to plant different things so they plant all these things all these things and then we when we get to an adult to adulthood we kind of have this patch of grass that has there'll be some weeds because there are some you know limiting beliefs and there'll be some beautiful flowers because a lot of what they passed to us is amazing and beautiful so I I think of the second act when you go through this as going back to that garden and thinking okay well these beliefs didn't serve me I've got to this point what can I do now and you put on your gloves and you might pull out some of those weeds and you might say, oh, that's a beautiful rose, but actually I don't like roses. You know, I like lilies. And so you might replant that or you might move something. And so it's almost creating that garden that you want based on the beliefs that you want to have as opposed to the beliefs that you were given. Are there any other key lessons that you really want our listeners to take away having heard your story? yeah so I guess two of the two of the biggest things one of them is that when you do this um, wh whether you do it when you get divorced or in your relationship you know um, 
you can even do this when you're in a relationship where you look at your beliefs and see how your beliefs are affecting the way you communicate with your partner, for example. When you do that, there is absolutely no blame attached. There is no blame attached. And it's really important for me to say that because in those moments when you look at your beliefs and things that you ended up carrying with you that maybe your parents said to you, there's that moment of guilt because you love your parents and you think, I don't want to say that something they gave me, like a belief they gave me is a negative thing that has affected my life. And so sometimes you won't look at it purely because you don't want to, you know, you feel that guilt purely because you don't want to blame them. There's no blame attached. I wholeheartedly believe that everybody um, leads, leads their life based on their version of the world. And so, you know, parents don't intentionally give you a negative belief. They give it to you because they received it. And maybe they didn't look at it and say, this is not serving me. And so they pass it down. So the first one is no blame. When you're looking at the beliefs and looking at, look back with compassion and say, okay, that doesn't work for me anymore. I'm grateful that, you know, they, they were trying, but I don't believe this anymore. And you change, you change the belief. And the second one is that no matter what you, th you think about it, your mind is amazing. And if you do the work and you put in the effort to kind of try and change things, you will thrive. You know, sometimes I have those first calls with people and they're so terrified and rightly so. I, like I said earlier, I was terrified. The idea of, of um, you know, single parenting or the idea of leaving a marriage based on what other people are, will think of me, even if I know it's not working, um, sounds terrifying. But with the right support and with the right work, you have the ability to be happier than you could ever imagine. So don't be afraid and get the right support. Absolutely. So what's life like for you right now? Oh, life is good. Life is good. It's taken me, so it's been nine years. Yeah, 2013, so it's been nine years. Um, I mean, it, it, life's been good for a while, but I, now I love the fact that now I can use my experience and what I went through and all the kind of work I did on myself to get through that to help other people. And that's, I love what I do. It's, um, you know, I speak to people and I come off these calls on a high because I know that it's making such a huge difference, um, you know, to, to, the, to those women who have been either stuck in a rut or who have just not been given the safe space or the opportunity to let go of some of those, some of those beliefs that were that were planted so life's good my son just turned 10 <laughs> um i can't believe wow. i'm the parent of a 10 year old it sounds like there are yeah. so many lessons that you've learned along the way are there any regrets anything you're like oh, i wish i'd done that a bit differently um i wish i had done what i'm doing now sooner um i wish i'd done it sooner i also i also wish that i gone out and sought some help earlier than I did because in those first few years I was very much like I've made this huge life-changing de decision I have to take responsibility I need to ensure that I'm doing everything I can for him I need to make sure that I'm you know whether it's for him or for myself and so I carried quite a load and I didn't let anyone in and I didn't let anyone um, 
aside from my parents, I didn't let anyone kind of come in. Um, and I think a lot of women especially do that when they first experience divorce or even if they're in challenging relationships in their marriage, they take so much ownership for that sometimes that they end up carrying a really heavy load. And so my regret is that I didn't put that down um, sooner. Thank you. I'm, I'm so pleased I asked that question. I mean, <laughs> Natasha, what a great conversation. And unfortunately, as they say, all good things must come to an end. Uh, but before we do draw our, our chit chat to a close, what's the one thing that you're working on that you're really excited right now about? Hmm. So there's two things, actually. Oh, okay. One is... Sneak peek. Go on, get another one in. Yeah. One is um, I am building a community and building a course for... Um, so it's actually, it's to divorce-proof your relationship, you know? Because like I said, I don't, uh, I don't want anyone to get divorced, but I think all relationships take work. So it's to you know, understand your love languages, learn how you communicate, know what your attachment styles it, a style is so that you can bring those tools, that toolbox, that toolkit to your relationship to ensure that it's, um, it's thriving. Um, and the second, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is that I'm, I'm writing a book. So, and that's been something I wanted to do, gosh, for as long as I can remember. So yeah, those are my two projects at the moment exciting stuff i cannot wait to uh find out more and for those listeners who want to connect with you who want to know when these things are available and what's going on where can listeners connect with you online yeah so the best the best place is on instagram i'm on there almost every day i absolutely love chatting to everyone on there so my instagram handle is at natasha coaches fantastic we'll make sure and put all of that to the show notes so Natasha, thank you for being a guest on Stories That Connect Us. I've loved our conversation. Take care of yourself and thank you soon. so much, Nikki. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad you're here. Hope you enjoyed that conversation and found value in listening to Natasha's story. My three key takeaways were, number one, all relationships take work and have to be nurtured whether that's friendships, co-workers, families, marriage is no exception. Number two, let's talk about it. Divorce shouldn't be taboo. And finally, number three, divorce isn't necessarily the end of the road. Before I sign out today, quick disclaimer. Today's personal story is based on Natasha's real life experiences. We're all different and what works for one may not work for another. I'd love to hear what you think. Give me your feedback now that we're four episodes in. And you can do so by following us on Stories That Connect Us on Instagram or LinkedIn. See you in a fortnight when I'll be back with another guest sharing their story. Thank you so, so much for listening to today's episode. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me for Stories That Connect Us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you listened, learned and felt inspired please share it with a friend and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Stay safe, stay connected. Until next time.